This episode of How to Read Comics covers difficult topics including sexual assault. Faster than a speeding bullet! Batman made a strange discovery. Briefly, they were subjected to sound in the higher frequencies and they fainted. Hello, everybody. Welcome to How to Read Comics. I am your comic book newbie, Nick. Uh, and with me this week, as always, is my uh, tempura battered friend, Jason. Hey. How's it going, Jay? Good. How are you doing? Good. Oh, tempura battered sounds so much more terrifying than it did before. Yeah. Well, it's got a whole new, uh, with the world of manga, uh, nothing is left off the table. And um, we will get into uh, why why that statement just is actually more n- normal than you would think. Um, yeah. So, yeah, today we're talking about Japanese manga. And uh, this is the second podcast uh, talking about manga. We had uh, a kind of general overview podcast. Uh, that you've uh, hopefully already listened to. If not, please go back and listen to that. We assigned some reading that uh, we're going to jump into today. And today we're going to be talking about four uh, series of manga, uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, Ode to Kirihito, Lone Wolf and Cub, and uh, Akira. Um, We're going to dive into those books in general and uh, some of the themes that we we saw uh, across those. So, And quick show note. We also previewed that we would talk about Otherworld Barbara. Uh, we're not going to be able to talk about that on this episode due to uh, shipping uh, issues and Amazon not getting books to everyone. Uh, yeah. We've been into a lot of that on this particular episode. So uh, my books had to be returned to the library uh, before all of Nick's books had come. And so uh, we won't necessarily be looking at the books in front of us in the same way we have with past episodes. So we're going to lose some close reading. But we will be able to give a much closer look to Otherworld Barbara uh, in just a few weeks. So this is the second of at least three manga episodes. Yeah, it's a very, very large subject. And it's, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's a very foreign subject uh, when it comes to comic book reading, both in the the fact that it comes from Japan and uh, the the way that they're put together and the the subject matter and the, the breadth of manga in general it is just different. It's different. Yeah. It's a different comic book reading experience. And I guess uh, that we with that, we can jump headlong into kind of like my my. Actually, uh, I, if I can interrupt you real quick, yeah. Nick, I, I've got a quick question for you, which is, um, is this, this is your first kind of interaction with manga, what we've done here. So I'd love to know just what's your take? What, what are your feelings since I didn't prepare you too much for it? Yeah, uh, Jason being a good friend, he just said, here, let's read these books and you just throw throw me headlong into the deep end. So. With manga, I, my vocabulary, my experience with comic books isn't really deep already, but reading Western comics um, seems a little bit more intuitive to me. Reading the, these books, um, these manga series, uh, there was some adjustment for sure um, with with reading it and understanding kind of the candor and the the speech. Um, obviously, they're all translated from Japanese, so it's it's a little different. Uh, that way, just the phonetic reading of everything. But there's definitely a different feeling when it comes to these books. You get this feeling that these series are speaking to a certain group of people. And I mean, speaking to an, a specific audience versus 
versus kind of being mass market appeal. Um, or maybe that's maybe I'm wrong on that. I mean, well, and maybe, maybe I, that's I think not, another I mean, way to put it is just that uh, they're speaking to an audience and you are not that audience. That exact that's exactly it. Not to say that you don't in, not to say I didn't enjoy some of it. Um, I really enjoyed reading Akira. That's probably I'm probably more in line with the audience that it was going going for as far as, you know, what I what I like to read. Right. Sci fi and stuff like that. But but still, again, I think that that comment is perfect. It's written for an audience and I'm just not quite that audience for some reason. Right. And that's kind of the general feel that I get when I'm when I'm reading these. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. The big one being that you did not uh, grow up in Japan. Uh, so you don't necessarily have all the access to that culture uh, or those cultures. As we'll see, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a monoculture. There's a lot of different genres within manga. Uh, manga is not a genre uh, any more than comic books are a genre. Uh, there's a lot of places you can go with it. And I think the medium of manga, I don't know what we could call it, the kind of almost dialect of manga uh, is uh, has a lot more genres in it than Western comics, uh, and we saw some examples uh, today. So, so without further ado, maybe we should just jump in. Yeah, I'll just kind of give a quick summary of each. Um, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure follows a main character named JoJo. Um, his adventures are bizarre. <laughs> There's not much more to it than that, other than uh, JoJo has an archvillain named Dio. Dio and Jojo are constantly at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll dive into some of the weirdness of that in a moment. And the whole thing is pretty over the top. I think you described it as uh, Indiana Jones meets Cthulhu. Um, yeah. There, and yeah. there's definitely some some of each of those feeling there. Indiana Jones meets H.P. Lovecraft, but just not in any real sense of like not hitting the center mark on either of those. Things. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, picking up on, on some of the more minor themes of each of those. Yeah. Uh, and then jamming exactly. them together. Uh, Ode to Kirihito is our next one by uh, the manga God, uh, the person who did more for manga than anyone else. He's been compared to Walt Disney and Stan Lee. Uh, and in Japanese culture, he's almost a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. And so he's a pretty big deal. So we read his book, Ode to Kirihito, uh, which follows a doctor who is researching a uh, disease that turns people into dogs. And then he contracts the disease and uncovers a large conspiracy. Yeah, there's other stuff, including a woman who gets battered in tempura. Uh, but we'll get to that uh, as we move forward into some of our themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and I should be mentioning the publication dates on each of these. Uh, yeah. Jojo was... Uh, First published in um, 2001. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. First published in uh, uh, English, collected in 2001. Yeah. 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 First, yeah. first published in Japanese in 93. Kirihito was 1970. Lone Wolf and Cub also 1970. And Akira is 1982. Mm. So we're doing them a little bit out of order. All right. So moving on in our uh, order again, we're on to Lone Wolf and Cub. Uh, which is just a really important series written by uh, Katsuo Koike and uh, illustrated by uh, Goseki Kojima. It is this really cool samurai book, feels like a Western in a lot of ways, um, and it follows uh, a main character, uh, the eponymous Lone Wolf, and his child, the Cub. Uh, They, of course, have actual names, and we learn them slowly throughout this, uh, but it's a very different book in that it's very episodic. Each issue is self-contained, and you get a nice little story. And slowly, 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 you learn a greater story about them, uh, which is kind of a nice way to do it. 
And finally, today we'll be talking about Akira. Uh, Akira, another really important book in kind of the history of manga, often considered one of the best mangas, uh, and we only read volume one. Yeah. It's it's a big one. Uh, I think we should sit down and watch the uh, the uh, mm-hmm. anime at some point because uh, it is awesome and um, was directed by the creator of the manga, Katsuhiro Otomo. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty amazing. Uh, just over the top action, uh, sci fi, conspiracy, future dystopian world, uh, and then uh, lots of teenagers doing drugs. Awesome. That about sum it up. That that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, it's really funny with these. It's like a pretty like straightforward, like you could take this to a, a Hollywood pitch room and be like, all right, I want to tell this story about, you know, this doctor that there's this thing. And then it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder. And you can just see like the executives being excited and then slowly going, oh my God, this is a crackpot story. Each one. Yeah. And it just, that's kind of like the general sense I get a, a manga in my head. It's like a really tight, really good story. And then it just kind of like fades around the edges, but I guess that's comic books in general. Right. I mean, yeah. Like the, the Hollywood versions that we get of um, comic book of comic books, there's a lot of stuff that's cut. Uh, it's all the weird stuff, all the weird stuff always cut. And so I guess that kind of, that's kind of the balance that you find as a comic book writer, as you're or not a writer, a, a comic book reader, you start to kind of edit out in your head. Some of the weird stuff. Yeah. And with manga, I just feel like I'm just doing that all the time. Yeah. And uh, another comparison, I just watched uh, Annihilation last night. You know, that's an American novel. And it's a very, very weird movie that I think a lot of people are interacting with and saying, what in the world is this? Mm. And yet even so, it misses a lot of the weirdest parts of the novel. Uh, So I think this is true kind of of all media that uh, the original tends to have the rougher edges and that as you move it towards a mass, uh, a bigger audience, uh, a more popular audience, you lose some of those things that make it unique, which can be good, you know, makes it more appealing. Uh, but also uh, it's so much fun to see the weird sometimes, you know, to, yeah. to see what else is going on. Yeah, for sure. So out of those books, what, what are like the big highlight points? So speaking of cutting down uh, and making it more appealing, what, what, what were the high points that, that stood out for you? So I had read all of these before, except for Jojo. Um, and so the high points for me were um, from the, mainly from the ones that I had previously read and kind of going back to them and seeing new things. Um, Ode to Kirihito was a better book than I remembered it, uh, more cohesive in some ways. Uh, I remembered like little fits and starts and didn't get the overall themes when I originally read it. Um, Lone Wolf and Cub, what jumped out to me the most was the really kind of the poetry of it. Mm-hmm. It allows so much silence and so much space. And sometimes the the poetry of it is just showing scenery, just showing um, flowers and trees and a road and someone walking and a foot. Uh, this kind of montage approach to uh, structuring the comic, uh, which is really beautiful and builds nicely. And you, it just feels like a place I want to live in, as opposed to originally when I was trying to just pick up the story. And rereading it and trying to analyze it, it was like, wow, this is a really fun thing to be in. And then Akira is just, it just stands up as such a good book. Yeah. It is such a page turner uh, and so engaging and interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I um, would second all, all of those comments that you just said about about those. In, in, in reverse, for me, it was like with Akira, Akira like really grabbed me. And yeah. was that page turner. And I think I read that one first no, I, or I read Jojo first and I had to actually stopped reading Jojo about halfway through. 
Yeah. And then I went to Akira and go, okay, this is, this yeah. is more my pace. And, um, the, the, the detail, the, the detail in, um, Akira versus the detail in Jojo, they're just like, they're like completely different. Like Jojo was like a, like a bazooka Joe comic. Yeah. Like art. And there were a couple cool uh, panels and stuff, but not much. Whereas like Akira, like every single panel was so detailed Um, and it was all just in black and white. But like everything was just so detailed and so crisp and so sharp. Like you could look at some of these pages like for hours and just pick out every little thing and and in the detail. It's like the difference between watching a movie where there was just no budget to hire a set designer versus somebody that uh, I just watched uh, Blade Runner again. And the set design on Blade Runner is just so insanely detailed and so amazing down to like the, the pieces of trash that are on the ground in Decker's apartment. Yeah. I equate that to like equal to what Akira was. Akira and Blade Runner have so much in common. I'm absolutely yeah. with you. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're right in the attention to detail, uh, but the world that each create, the world building that goes on there is often very subtle and really well done. It's it's not a lot of like, it is the year 2045. Okay, I, fine. It does start that way. It but, does. <laughs> um, it's only two pages. Yeah. And after you get there, you, you start to pick up on the kind of politics that are currently going on mm-hmm. through some really light exposition. And you pick up on a lot of the world just through the set design that's there. Yeah, I I love that part of all in all types of entertainment is when things get when it comes down to the details and when the details can move the story forward without, without you knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just like the one thing that sets different pieces of, of story apart for me. Um, especially too, when it comes down, I mean, there, there are comic books out there that I've read that there's very little detail. I mean, I, I go back to the, uh, Chris Claremont Wolverine series that we read, where there are panels where it's just the characters on colored backgrounds. Right. But that's very, it's very thought out and it was, it was void of a background for a reason. Um, so that kind of stuff moves me, um, in, in one way. And, and it's either, it has to be very stark for a reason or very detailed for a reason. It's just gotta have a reason behind it. And and with manga, I've run into this issue of it, feeling like it needs to be a long story. Yeah. And I just didn't know, I guess that brings me to uh, one of my bigger questions about all these books is why do they have to be so long? Yeah. Well, and so let's look at Ode to Kirihito and Akira as kind of the outliers here. Okay. And then Otherworld Barber when we get to it, um, because I purposely chose things that were truncated. Uh, This is weird. Ode to Kirihito was 800 pages. Akira is five volumes of like 300 pages each. Mm-hmm. I, I picked these because they were shorter examples yeah. uh, in, in some <laughs> sense. Yeah. I think Joe, I think Jojo goes out for a long, 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 long time too. Yeah. Lone Wolf and Cub has 28 volumes. Um, <sighs> Jeez. So, I mean, these are, these are really, really big things that typically go on for years and years and years. And so it's, yeah. So why is that? It's serialization uh, similar to Wolverine. Right when we jumped into Wolverine, we you wouldn't say that Wolverine is long, but we read issue ninety. Right. I mean, so clearly it is long. It's it's just that we hopped in in one place and didn't assume that we were supposed to read the whole thing. Yeah. And that's the way that Lone Wolf and Cub 
and that JoJo work. The distinction being there's a little bit less of an op- episodic nature in JoJo. Uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, you're really supposed to know what's going on previously. So it's a little bit closer to, you know, Days of Our Lives uh, or some kind of like soap opera where it's been going on for decades. Yeah. And you're just you just kind of get on as you can. Uh, however, you know there's an overall story going on. Uh, Ode to Kirihito is is long, but you're ideally supposed to catch all of it. Uh, same with Akira. They're they're long, but but you really can't jump in in the middle. There's too many moving pieces. Yeah. And one of the reasons for this is uh, Lone Wolf and Cub and uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure were both published uh, originally in anthologies. Uh, I'm not sure which of the other ones were. Uh, it, I don't believe Akira was. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. Akira was as well. Um, and Ode to Kirihito, let me check real quick. Looks like, yes, it was as well. Uh, all of these were published originally as anthologies. And so in an anthology, this is the comparison I'd make is to, uh, again, to connect it to Wolverine, uh, Weapon X came out in Marvel Comics Presents. Mm-hmm. And Marvel Comics Presents would have, you know, a 30-page issue, but only 10 of them would be one story. Right, right, right. And there'd be three stories kind of going on simultaneously. Uh, these are much longer things. These are, you know, 200-page magazines where you're getting uh, 25 pages at a time of your story. And then lots and lots of different stories, uh, you know, mm. close to a dozen different stories per issue um, that you may or may not be following that didn't necessarily start at the same time and stop at the same time. Yeah, But it's a, kind of a nice way to just get involved instead of going to the comic shop and saying, okay, so what's good this week? You just right. subscribe to a comic book magazine that you, you get this anthology and every month you get another issue. So a, a just kind of a different publishing style leads to that. Uh, and it's, it's weird to think of this because we, we think of our way of publishing as natural. Yeah. But there's a material basis for all of this, right? Yeah. And so why, why is this mostly in black and white? Well, it's because these anthologies were typically published in black and white on newsprint, you know, as opposed to the glossy paper that we see ours in. And that leads to some other things. If you can't use color, what do you use to, to show off some things? And so there's some some more cartoonishness in the ways that the characters are presented mm-hmm. to compensate for that. Uh, the uh, cross hatching in the backgrounds where you'll just have lines and lines and lines showing movement. Um, you know, that in some ways compensates for a lack of color, but it, it's interesting to me that, that a lot of times the, you know, why is manga so long? Because newsprint is so cheap <laughs> is, is kind of the gotcha. roundabout way of saying that. Huh. Um, and that was, that's just kind of, that was just like a natural evolution of publishing style and, and, and history. Exactly. Um, and it's just, it's just, that's how they did it in Japan. And so, um, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, whenever we talk about, uh, European comics, it's going to be a very different conversation because, uh, American comics used a uh, four color process and European presses used flat color, meaning you could use just about any color you wanted. And that's why, um, you go over to Tintin, and there's just a huge range of color, and color is used in really beautiful ways. There's like whole monochromatic themes where you can't do monochromatic in Western comics because there's only one blue. Gotcha. You can't use 10 different kinds of blue to show kind of a different level of depth. Uh, and so even though by, I believe, the 70s they moved away from that, uh, they're still influenced in American comics by the four-color process. Hmm. Yeah, it's amazing that uh, that the material nature of comic books is what actually formats comic books. I, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about digital comics uh, a little ways back is as you change the, as you change the medium, you change the way you can tell a story. So yeah. 
that's yeah, that's interesting. That's very good. And then I'm guessing too. We and we talked about this a little bit um, in our last manga episode, but um, the fact that there are so many different subjects of manga is just because again. I'm guessing newsprint was cheap and anybody could get published if they had a, a story that they wanted to crank out in, in a long format. And I mean, the, I guess the other question that I had when I was reading this were the age of Western comics in years versus the age of Japanese comics in years. I know we went over that number last time, but let's, let's repeat it though. Uh, this is a really tough number to put your finger on. Uh, in some senses, if you go back to woodcuts, Japanese manga go back to like the 13th century. Uh, they certainly had more of a presence uh, throughout the 19th century uh, than American comics did. At the same time, there's this huge boom just after World War II. And a lot of that boom has been uh, historically coupled. You know, there's this great American reading of it where you say, okay, and then the American GIs were there and they showed the Japanese their comic books and then the Japanese said, oh, okay, I'll imitate that. And that's really not accurate. Uh, the Japanese had an ongoing uh, field of comics uh, called manga that had already existed for decades, if not centuries, depending on where you want to kind of draw mm-hmm. that line. But you know, shoujo, for example, as one big mega genre with many genres underneath it, shoujo is the girls' comics. We read Otherworld Barber. We'll be reading it for uh, our next episode. Uh, but that also includes Sailor Moon, and it also includes lots and lots of other uh, romance comics uh, with its own kind of interesting things. You know, the shoujo as a genre or a meta genre goes back to uh, the first decade of the 20th century. So this was really well established before uh, it felt that U.S. influence. Um, now, there certainly was a U.S. influence, particularly with Osamu Tetsuka being mm-hmm. influenced by Walt Disney. And so that happened throughout the 30s and 40s. And that's just more of, hey, this is this is popular in the West or this is popular worldwide. Let's get on. Let's get on the train or let's let's revamp what we've already been doing or remarket it. It's not like, oh, hey, that's a good idea. We should make, you know, cartoons. It was more of the world is ready for this. We've been doing this for a long time. Let's let's do this more. Well, what Tetsuka was particularly interested by. Uh, it with Disney was uh, kind of the expressiveness mm. of the characters and that, you know, Mickey Mouse is so identifiable uh, through those facial expressions, through the gestures and things like that. And so he took that on with Astro Boy during the 50s. And that was where that influence was really felt. And so, you know, why do uh, why do anime characters have big eyes? And the answer is because mm. Mickey Mouse does in some ways. Uh, you know, that's part of the connection there. And then the connection comes back around throughout the 80s and 90s where you see Western comics taking on more manga influences uh, in very deliberate ways. Um, so there's, there is a cross-pollination there that's, that's interesting, but it's not in one direction or the other. Uh, it's lots of things happening at once, lots of moving parts. So I guess then the natural progression then of manga then turns into – and this is the question in the back of my head uh, as I'm reading through these – is the, the relationship between manga and anime. Right. Typically, uh, the manga comes first and then the anime, uh, similar to comics and cartoons, right? A cartoon or a movie takes more people and more money to create. Uh, so, same with manga. You know, you, you need just a handful of people to make a manga. Uh, you need dozens to put together an anime. And that kind of thing really leads to, again, it's, it's material constraints. Interesting. Uh, not to, you know, just keep repeating myself. Yeah, well, no, I mean, it's, it's the side, that's the side of all this that we don't, we never really see, you know, you're, you're reading, right. You're reading the the pictures and the art on the paper. You're not reading the paper. Right. 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 Or you're not seeing the pixels uh, when you're watching it uh, on a screen. 
Um, all right. So that kind of answers a, a lot of the questions that I had as we were, um, as I was, you know, trying to adjust to the, the cultural, um, holes that I might've had, uh, reading manga, but the other, like out of all these, uh, books that we read, the other like overwhelming theme that we've had, uh, in this segment of, of manga. And I was very, very curious to see if this happened in other places, but was just kind of the blatant misogyny that's kind of written into these, these books, even my favorite book, Akira, um, out of these, yeah, uh, had some pretty, pretty terrible treatment of women in it. Um, it does kind of redeem itself. I think with having the, the second main character, uh, be a very, uh, very, very strong woman and, and not giving in to what these stupid men in this book suggest, uh, and remind me, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Um, it's Kay. Yeah, Kay. She's an awesome character. But like I said, I think kind of the only redeeming quality of the other side of the coin of teenagers doing drugs and getting uh, getting girls pregnant, not caring about it. And there's just like some pretty bad stuff. And then the other the other one would be in Ode to Kirihito. Um, It's pretty, pretty rough. Yeah. And didn't I didn't expect that going in. To reading these, I, I, I mean, right. I, I don't even, I can't even off the top of my head recall when we were reading some of the, the older Western comics of the same time period, if it was, if it was like, like that as well. There is some of that. It's probably about a decade off comics of the sixties and especially fifties have a lot more of that misogyny, uh, or at least that overt misogyny, uh, throughout the seventies and eighties and some of the stuff we were reading. It, it becomes a little bit less overt, yeah. uh, but it can still remain there. So, for example, m- most of the Wolverine stuff we we read, uh, women were secondary characters, if at all, right? We did see a few where uh, women were, um, you know, co-main characters or or at least had some agency. Uh, but at least they, they, they tended to be played down. Uh, whereas if you read some comics from the, the 40s and 50s, uh, you know, Superman's just about ready to, to I think, threatens to right. smack Lois Lane uh, repeatedly. Like, you know, and that's just a normal thing. That's, that's the right way to talk to a woman. Um, not at all. We we disagree with that. Uh, you, you've got that in Western comics, but in, in manga, you've just, you've got, like, rape and murder. And it it's not, like, behind a yeah. closed door. It's it's right there in front of you, and you're just right. like, whoa. Let's let's deal with it with uh, Ode to Kirihito. Uh, well, let, let's deal with kind of each of these sure. uh, separately. So I think Lone Wolf and Cub gets off the easiest here. Has the Even though it has a, a male protagonist, uh, the women in the, mm-hmm. this book typically have agency and typically are interesting, unique characters and tend to not be stereotyped in the ways of the other. So we'll, we'll kind of leave Lone Wolf and Cub out for this part of the conversation. Uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure also handled pretty easily in that it's kind of got this uh, vague objectification of women where they are goals and trophies uh, as opposed to kind of real people. Uh, but then again, I don't know that the male characters are all that fleshed out either. So yeah. uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't shine as much. And, and those two are also operating in I mean, it doesn't get them off the hook, but because they're they're contemporary writings, but they are written in a time period where they're just women were treated in women were treated poorly in the time periods that they were writing. Well, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure is 93. It may be taking place in the past. It's depicting a past. Yeah, right. That's what I mean. The 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 story is taking place in the past where that would would have been normal. And that's the. That's the next question is to to talk about to what extent is the creator giving the people, giving the yeah. characters a pass, 
And I think JoJo, it's, it's a little bit difficult to figure that out, again, because it's not necessarily historical. It's set in history, but it's so goofy and over the top that you're not like looking for historical accuracy. Akira, set in the future, there's no history that we can compare it to. But what are we to think of Tetsuo? Are we to think that he's a rake and, oh, boys will be boys? Or are we meant to really think, you know, this is not a hero. This is an anti-hero. And I'm not sure to what extent we're supposed to cheer for him. We're certainly not meant to cheer for Akira, the namesake of the book, uh, who turns from mm-hmm. hero to villain pretty quickly and pretty decidedly. And even the people who are going up against him, you don't get the sense that they are heroes. Uh, yeah. It's more of a gang fight in which we just happen to be watching one side of it more than the and other. And that's why that's why Akira still steps out for me is is that I, I see Kay as the hero of that story. And yes. she's she's an awesome character. And if the book would, did not have her in it, it would it would be pretty rough. Yes. So I think the one that that needs the most attention yeah. is Ode to Kirihito. So in Ode to Kirihito, there is a lot of sexual assault, much more than I recalled. That's not good. And it's pretty troubling, especially coming from Osama Tetsuka, who is, uh, you know, the the leader of manga. And so setting the tone in, in a big way and, and can be in some ways filled in for all of manga. And, and Osama Tetsuka, mm-hmm. a creator that I really, really like. And I think that we should divide it between a few things. One, uh, using sexual assault as a plot point, uh, you know, something to drive the main yeah. character forward. This is, in a sense, making light of sexual assault. Uh, I believe we saw some of this in Lone Wolf and Cub as well, uh, probably treated a little bit lighter, uh, and so it didn't jump out to us in the same way. But uh, this is uh, the example in um, uh, Ode to Kirihito, is uh, Kirihito's uh, wife, not his fiancée, but the woman he marries in the town of Dagadale. Her name is Tatsu, and really inter- interesting inter- interactions with her early on. Uh, she has sex with him to protect him from the village because once they have had sex, he is then part of the village. Uh, so the use of sex as a weapon, as some kind of um, almost a, a totem yeah. or, or some kind of ritual uh, induction into village life uh, is interesting there. And then she is raped and murdered very shortly afterwards. Uh, that's pretty clearly to me, not only is she objectified in kind of the ritual uh, yeah. bringing her into the group, but also she is used just as a plot point uh, to drive Osanai forward, right? We can't have him dragging her along for all his adventures. We need him to have kind of a revenge yeah. arc. Okay, so we'll kill her off and we'll have her be sexually assaulted because that's the only language we understand of revenge, which is is really, really, really not great, terrible, and typical of a, a lot of comics, although they're done with yeah. that strong language. Yeah, and just to comment on that too is is just that whole bringing uh, him into the the village life thing. You you kind of go, okay, well that's a little weird, and then she starts taking more and more of a a role in the story, and so you start you kind of forget that part a little bit, and it, it, it's it's okay. You're like, okay, well this is like meant to be a strange village, and you know maybe this, this is me. These are my thoughts as I'm reading through this is, you know, this is, I must be missing something culturally about this, or maybe this is how, maybe this is how people in Tokyo felt about, you know, country people or something. And I'm, I'm just missing that. But then, yeah, at the end, it's just like, then she's gone because, um, he leaves her in the cart and, you know, some perverts hanging out in the bushes and he like, rapes and yep. kills her in five minutes and you're just like what is like yep. what is going on and 
so yeah, it's it's very strange for a Western reader to come into that without any experience in manga and not knowing like what what is this supposed to translate to. Yeah, and I, and I think that in terms of that, uh, in terms of Tatsu in particular, uh, Western media is really guilty of this as sure, well. Sure, yeah. Um, that we we use sexual assault as as a plot point, and this is uh, it even has a name named after American comics. This would be uh, murder, not just sexual assault, but uh, the woman in the woman in the fridge or girlfriend in the fridge trope. This is uh, caused by, I believe, Green Lantern comes home and finds his girlfriend dismembered and put in the fridge uh, back in the 80s. But it's so common that it became called the girlfriend in the fridge trope. And there are multiple examples of it. Uh, The trope just means that uh, your girlfriend is killed and therefore you have a quest of vengeance. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are so many examples of it in which the girlfriend is literally put into a refrigerator that that took on the name. Oh, my gosh. Uh, The literalness of that is just incredibly disturbing. And so I think if we were reading in a Western comic, we might be more likely to just say, um, oh, this didn't work. Whereas here, I hear you kind of say, well, maybe it's a cultural thing that I I don't understand. It's like, well, no, I I think it's laziness. I think it's laziness (laughs) and misogyny uh, blending together to make a, an evil Reese's pieces. Um, <sighs> it's, it's not great. All right. Well, that's it for the podcast. We're done. We're not reading comic books anymore. Cause we've just failed. We just fail it. <laughs> we fail it. <laughs> Let's continue on. Cause, <laughs> Cause I actually think, uh, the sexual politics of Kirihito, uh, that book are, are more interesting than just this one example. Sure. Yes. So the second one is Reika and Reika is a character, uh, that Kirihito me- meets in the freak show. And, Kirihito is at this point the dog-faced man, and Reika is the human tempura. She has this special trick she does. She is a very sexy belly dancer kind of character. Uh, She does these exotic dances, and then in the middle of it, she uh, curls up uh, into an um, acrobatic pose, gets covered in uh, batter, and thrown into hot oil. And because she does it just perfectly, she is unharmed. And of course, later uh, he finds out that it's it's not like that. That that actually she has many scars from when it didn't go well, and, and that it's a right. complex thing. And then she uh, rescues him, saves him from the freak show. They they break out together, and almost immediately you you see uh, her trying to push for a, a at least sexual relationship with him, not necessarily romantic. Uh, it does not seem like uh, oh you saved me and so I will now sleep with you. It seems something else. And yeah, it's it's almost kind of James Bondy in nature. Sure. Uh, kind of you know you anyway that's that's kind of where i was going like oh this is okay yeah but again it takes more of a turn because uh yeah. he rebuffs her advances and immediately uh in the the next time she she gets a chance she um handcuffs him to a table and uh tortures him uh and sexually assaults him um yeah. and it turns out he's not the first victim and that he only breaks out because of some work that a previous victim had done so she turns into uh, kind of a serial killer character which is not something you saw coming going at all and then i think we get the key to the to how uh kirihito deals with sexual assault um kirihito as a character does not he he doesn't try to kill her he doesn't you know say we're done i'm leaving he tries to get her help because he's a doctor and he says there's something wrong with you and that's a really interesting moment because the whole book is about disease and about the ways that we do not talk about disease Mm-hmm. particularly diseases that turn us into animals. And I think in a sense, that might be the key to the entire book, which is that the book is not about turning into dogs. It's about mental diseases. It's about mental illness. 
and the relationship of sexual assault to mental illness. And so sexual assault in that sense is not necessarily just a side story or a plot point, although I think in the case of Tatsu it is. Yeah. But with Reiki as a character, and then the other main character that we'll need to deal with there is Urabe, Hirohito's friend, who yeah. uh, sexually assaults Hirohito's fiance and his patient, Helen. And the way it's dealt with, I mean, he gets headaches, he has these these kind of uh, psychotic break kind of things. It's clear that Urabe has a mental illness, and that does not absolve him of his actions. I think the, the misogynistic treatment there is that Itsumi, uh, Kirihito's fiance, feels guilty. Yeah, it gets put on her. Yes, and yeah. Urabe contributes to that in that he says, yeah. I can't believe I'd betray Kirihito like this. No, you raped a woman, a, a human being. That's the person you betrayed, not her owner, right? Her fiance. Right. And so there's there's a deep misogyny that's betrayed there. And I don't want to gloss over that and, and absolve uh, Osama Tetsuka that at the same time, I do think there is something he's trying to talk about, maybe he doesn't do it well, about um, mental illness uh, and trying to talk about it in the same ways that we talk about other illnesses. And that connects back to the conspiracy of silence around the uh, the disease. Yeah, and then on the outside, the, the worldwide conspiracy of this disease spreading and them trying to keep it under wraps, you figure it's a racial thing right? Um, initially. And then it turns into, oh, anybody can get this. Yes. So you get the, you kind of get the feeling like they're, they're talking about maybe they're talking about AIDS or they're talking about, you know, these, these diseases that are tied to a time and place or, a, or seemingly to a, a race or a group of people. And the book is trying to break down that barrier. Um, it breaks down that barrier uh, pretty overtly, um, you know, having people turn into dogs and go, these are people too, right. you know. Um, but then it only breaks that away to give way to what what you were just talking about of, you know, these issues of mental illness. Um, so it's kind of like a, a twofold approach to trying to deal with these. Um, it's good that we're discussing it because reading it, though, it does. It, I don't feel like it comes off that way um, until you get to discuss it. Right. Because it it just comes off as number one, it's an, an old uh, reading it now. It's an older comic book. Uh, what? 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. Almost, almost 50, 50 years, years old. It's got that. It's got that tinge of, oh, this is old. This is outdated. You know, they deal with women poorly. You know, it, it you just it, you kind of write it off as just old way of thinking and an incorrect way of thinking. Yep. So it's good that we get to, get to st- discuss that because. Otherwise, you just kind of write it off as like really bad storytelling. Yeah, and I, I think you brought up race, uh, which is really interesting here. And I, I think um, it's kind of a, in some senses, you know, it's the rare case where it's like, well, it's it'll be easier just to talk about race. Um, mm-hmm. Like, uh, uh, no, that's a that's a huge issue. No, no, we we can't just kind of gloss over this. But it it actually deals with race, I think, more directly, and that gives us an easier place to kind of study it and study both what Osama Tetsuka is trying to do. And also his uh, his clumsiness with it. That's a perfect word for it. Clumsy. It's it's just kind of clumsy. It's like okay, here's the the goal is to say, hey, everyone's the same. We're all people here, right? And it, it's just like tripping over his feet to get to that point. Yes, yes. Uh, so first, uh, Mon Mao is only uh, infecting people from this small village, and there's this kind of uh, xenophobia, hatred of the rural hayseed character that's happening there, mm. uh, where. Uh, Dr. Osanai, uh, Dr. Kirihito is the only one who, um, 
is, really cares about these rural people and sees them as human beings. Uh, and that's why he gets he interacts with them. At the same time, they're portrayed as a almost incestuous society that hates outsiders, uh, and they fall into some stereotypes. Next example we get is uh, when Arabe goes to South Africa, and we have this this female doctor that he meets, and she's incredibly racist. She's white, and she says that she considers Arabe Caucasian, uh, that Asian is the same as Caucasian because it's not black, and he's. He has this really interesting reaction of like, oh my gosh, you're so racist. Like, you don't know, you have no idea how racist you are. That is not a compliment for me to be called white. And also, wow. At the same time, she is portrayed in this over-the-top cartoonish way of whiteness. Uh, she's a giant. Her eyes are far too broad, you know, wide, wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, she has incredibly large breasts. And, and it's this, you can see a kind of cartoonifying of stereotypes about what it means to be white uh, happening there as well. Same with the, with the depiction of the black characters. Really, really uncomfortable with the ways that he blo- draws black characters using racial stereotypes as opposed to – and this, this gives us an idea of how the lens of race works. The Asian characters, particularly the Japanese, but mostly the Asian characters because we get a, a variety of other Asian cultures as well in this book, mm-hmm. um, are depicted with a lot more nuance than any other race. It's almost as though uh, we're more used to our own race and tend to stereotype other races, uh, you know, one might say. Yeah. So the, I think the, the kinds of things that Tetsuka is trying to do there and his clumsiness are so much more obvious, uh, whereas with the sexual assault uh, issues and misogyny, he's doing something a little bit more subtle mm-hmm. and his clumsiness turns it into something just as detestable. And, you know, this was probably not an issue that he was equipped to tackle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those, it's one of those things that, well, yeah, I mean, I'm just like, like I said earlier, I'm just glad we got to talk about it because uh, it gets lost in, in the, it literally just gets lost in the translation. Yeah. Well, and and all the other things going on in the book, there's just so many moving pieces to this book mm-hmm. that it's really difficult to figure out where, where to start uh, and how to, how to break it apart. Well then f- flash forward in the future uh, in Akira yeah. and, uh, the themes there haven't changed too much, unfortunately. Right. Um, we we see uh, in the first few pages, uh, the first few pages of of the book, um, the teenage boys riding around on their motorcycles, and they get back to school, and they just don't care about school, and they're uh, doing drugs in school. They go to score more drugs uh, from uh, from one of their girlfriends, and she's all distraught about number one, giving them dr- these, these uh, stolen drugs. Cause she's a, like a medical assistant or something like that. Uh, but number two, uh, she's distraught because she's just found out that she's pregnant. And then her boyfriend or uh, one of our main characters in the book just says, Oh, well, see you later. It's pretty nuts. And it's, it's written in, again, it's the, when I was reading through this, I'm trying to understand, like, am I mi- like, reading this at face value, this is bad. Like this, I, this does not jive, but since it is a foreign comic book, since I might be missing something, am I missing something here? But I think I you don't really have to answer. I'm like, I'm no, I'm not missing something. Like there's, there's nothing, there's no cultural uh, difference. Uh, even if there is a cultural difference, there's no acceptable cultural difference to have this written into this book. Yeah. To, to connect you with the culture, uh, the, the, 
the book that this was published in, the magazine is called Young Ma- Weekly Young Magazine. Typically fe- features a pinup uh, girl on the front, mm-hmm. lots of action adventure uh, stories in the middle with lots of uh, crude humor. It's it's Maxim with with comics, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and if you envision it that way, you get the idea that um, okay, these are the heroes. You know, it, Tetsuo really is somebody that they're emulating in some ways and, and saying, "Oh, Goofy, get it, get it." He got her pregnant. And he, yeah, he doesn't want to get caught. Ha ha. Hmm. When you look at that initial context, I, I, I need to find some real evidence that Akira is trying to push back against that uh, because it, it yeah. seems to be falling into those stereotypes uh, more than it's trying to reject them. Tetsuya also, you know, makes advances on Kay and, and she's just like, no, you're stupid boy. Like, no. Yep. In her doing that, it is still in, you know, me reading that and putting that inflection on it. That's not the inflection that the, the, original audience would have put on it and be like, Oh man, she's such a jerk. Like she should just be his girlfriend, you know, like that's right. That's what that was supposed to be. But, um, reading it now, you know, I, I put, put it on a different way and go, heck yeah. Kay, way to go. Like, uh, you are the badass in this situation. You know, the, the, this subject and the way that it's handled, it's not a super huge part of Akira as the, the whole book. It's uh, minor scenes in the book. It's still there, but it is the thing that I kind of grapple with on whether or not to continue reading it. I I really like the story of Akira. Like, I like the sci-fi story of Akira. It's really cool. Yeah. Really interesting, especially in the time and the place that it was written. And so, and the, you know, that's what I kind of found with a lot of this, a lot of manga is, you know, I found myself like just skipping a few pages. I'm like, I can't, I just can't read this uh, i mean i think i read I, I i definitely read more of these books because we were going to discuss them but if i was a casual reader a casual american reader uh reading these books today probably wouldn't have gotten as far in ode to kirohito as i did uh right i just stopped reading jojo um, um yeah. and lone wolf and cub i just kind of skipped around on some of the parts i was just like no nah, this isn't this isn't for me but akira akira connected Kira, the story was, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, like, like I said earlier, it's like that, a Blade Runner type, type thing. And, and just, just me personally, like I, when I'm, when I'm reading, uh, reading a story or reading comic books or watching a movie, like I'm not, I, I'm really not into the, uh, over sexuality that gets put into the media that we consume now. It's just not my thing. Right. Um, the stuff that gets put in as a plot point is just. Like, no, there's, there's ways to show love and affection in, in media and there's good ways and there's, there's bad ways. And unfortunately in manga, I feel like there's a lot of bad ways put in. And I I don't know if that's in manga in general or the, or what, but I'd, I'd be, I'd be pretty reticent to say that it is manga in general. Uh, but just to say that, uh, because of the cultural separation, we might be more likely to see it there. Um, And that we're we're more likely to forgive if it shows up in a Marvel comic. Uh, the other thing is, we we haven't been reading many very adult titles sure. in our uh, mainstream U.S. comics, whereas we read uh, almost exclusively comics aimed at adults in manga. Yeah. Um, and so so that's another issue. Imagine if all we watched were um, you know things on basic cable versus HBO. Mm-hmm. You know that that's I think the comparison to make is we read we read the HBO stuff 
for uh, our manga, and we've stuck with you know CBS for most of our <laughs> U.S. comics, uh, and that gives you a feel for why we might be seeing some of these th- these themes show up. Uh, one last thing I want to mention about this yeah. is just talk about situating ourselves to straight white men uh, reading comics that are not from our culture, and also trying to talk about sexual assault. That we are not ideally suited for that. And I wanted to make sure that that we realize that, that it's important yeah. for us to talk about it. That's that's great. I'm glad we're doing that. And yet, uh, one of the things we'll be working on in the future of this show is trying to get more and more different voices uh, on the show, uh, particularly women. Uh, and so there's some guests that I'm reaching out to now, and, and hopefully we'll see that in the future, uh, particularly when we talk to talk about uh, Otherworld Barbara. I'd love to get somebody who uh, cares about shoujo uh, talking about that because I think it's just such a weird, cool book uh, that involves the history of shoujo in some interesting ways. Sweet. But yeah, not just when we're talking about issues surrounding women, but actually when we're talking about just about anything. So uh, I think that that that's just a good note for now is that, um, yeah, we're aware of that. Yes, that critique is completely correct. uh, And we're going to to, uh, work to remedy it. Yeah, it's... The world that we're in today it deserves that, and so it's great to be able to look back and and learn from what's been put out into our culture, and like I said, learn from that and and uh, grow and move forward. So, um, yeah, excited to talk about Otherworld Barbara next time that we meet. Um, if you're listening to this and you'd like to get in on the conversation, please reach out to us. You can uh, get a hold of us at uh, the Overthink uh, Podcast Network. Uh, just Google overthink podcast and uh send us an email through our website there and uh hopefully we can connect with you and uh get you on the podcast or just have a great conversation so with that we're going to be reading otherworld barbara any other manga that we may not discuss but you would recommend jay uh, i would just take a dip to uh shoujo because this is the one of the big areas that we did not discuss uh which is manga typically um aimed at high school age girls and so uh, Otherworld Barbara is part of that world, but I think I mentioned already Sailor Moon is another example of this. And there's some cross-pollination between the shoujo genres and other genres. Uh, and so we'll talk a little bit about that next week. But yeah, if you want to do your homework and you get bored reading just two full volumes <laughs> of Otherworld Barbara, go ahead and uh, you know, find some other shoujo uh, and tell us about it because it's not an area I know a ton about. I, and I definitely, there's a lot of comic book knowledge that I do not have. And that is a huge black space in my mind at this point. I need to get educated for sure. All right. Well, we'll do our part to educate ourselves and uh, hopefully you will too. And we'll see you in just a few weeks. All right. Thanks everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.